Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of the Tax Security Podcast, where we talk about all things security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues seen by the teams here in the Cisco Technical Assistance Center. All right, well, uh, today's episode is going to focus on a certain VPN technology, henceforth known as FlexVPN. I know we've covered some VPN topics in the past and some troubleshooting methodologies, but today is a special day and a special show because we are lucky to have a special guest with us here, Distinguished Support Engineer Frederic Detienne. He has come a long way just to be on this show. He has flown from Brussels all the way here just to record with us today, and we're pleased to have him here as well as uh, you know two of my good buddies from the VPN team uh, who have been taking him around to different places. Uh, we've got Jay Young-Taylor from the VPN team, as well as Wen Zhang. And uh, so, Fred, now that uh, you're here in the States for a little while, how are you liking it? What is, you know, what's new and exciting? Well, you know, I, I'm, I have been in the United States for a month, uh, one week in San Jose, one week in San Diego for Cisco Live, and then finally two weeks here in RTP, North Carolina. Uh, to basically work with the uh, the support team, the the VPN support team, you know, Wen Zhang is part, uh, Jay, and uh, I just love it. It's fantastic. I mean, North Carolina is is beautiful. It's green. It's like at home, but sunny and warm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, on top of that, I would say that the the people that I met are extremely friendly. I, I was amazed with that. I think it's uh, definitely one of my best trips ever. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Now, um, word on the street is uh, when took you out to go get grits. Uh, now, for those who don't know what grits are, just Google it. It's a southern thing. But uh, what do you think about grits? Uh, you know, I'll describe it. You know, when it came in front of me, I said, oh, oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm generally, generally not too much into this type of thing. But I have to say it was good, actually. I just really enjoyed it. Very well, nice. But, it but you, you don't know what I had the, uh, the, the grits with. Well, obviously, that was after we biked for 15 miles with no <laughs> breakfast. So I yes, would think anything would point. taste good. Yeah, All you right. could just put gravel in front of me after 15 miles of bike riding and I'll eat it. But I, I still believe that the context is interesting. So with the grits came waffles and fried chicken. So you did chicken and waffles. Absolutely. A delightful southern combination right there. Well, uh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you like it. This is what your brain says, don't eat that. And then, and then the, you know, your very, very primitive brain says, oh, sugar, <laughs> fat, <laughs> salt. Sugar's fat and salt. It's and what uh, engineers it. are made on, right? Yep. Well, um, with that, let's get into the show. You know, we want to just talk about a couple of different points on FlexVPN, specifically motivation for such a technology, the origins and where the technology came from, some configuration best practices, and troubleshooting tips. And who better to do it with than this wonderful panel that I have here in front of me. So uh, let's kind of just get the ball rolling. What is FlexVPN from a very high-level point of view? So FlexVPN is a crypto VPN. Uh, and more specifically, it's a overlay crypto VPN. So it is something that is in the same space as DMVPN or EasyVPN, if you're familiar with them. And yeah, more, more or less, it's what we call a Unity solution. That is, it's not yet another VPN. It's not a new type of VPN. It is a crypto VPN that takes advantage of IGV2 and, and tries to be compatible with third parties like Microsoft or you know anybody compatible with the IGV2 standard. Well, I guess that we also try to encompass DM and EZ in the process and we try to simplify the configuration. Therefore That's making it. it, by definition, flexible. Yep, yep, spot on. So Fred, you said uh, it's not yet another VPN. Well, we've already got GetVPN, we've already got DMVPN, we've got EasyVPN, site to site. 
what, what does this bring to the table that so it's not yet another VPN? <clears throat> the, the, the thing is, we, we could have developed uh, a VPN technology for Microsoft, you know, to be a Microsoft server, responding to the Microsoft, you know, uh, embedded client. We could develop another technology for, you know, like side to side. We could keep we could keep the MVPN as it is today. We could keep Easy VPN as it is today, and all of these are distinct solutions that require training. That that have different CLIs, that have different concepts and limitations. In in Flex, we really take a standard like V2. We make sure that we're interoperable, so all the basic features of the protocol do work, and they are compatible with anybody implementing the standard. So. In this respect, it is an IV2, plain IV2 solution. And on top of that, we redeveloped the value add features that we had inside IV2 and in DMVPN. Uh, and you can activate these value add features on the fly. And you can uh, actually activate any value add feature at any point in time. So altogether, it's one feature that just does it all. And you know, yeah, that's a unifying solution. It's not another one. So with that being the unified solution, uh, What's the, what's the future going to be for these other VPN solutions? Where do you see, you know, us, say, three years from now, you know, uh, where's EasyVPN, where's DMVPN? All right, so so before everybody runs away shouting and crying, please listen to the end of the sentence. One day, we will have to phase out the older VPNs, but in the meantime, they are here to stay, and they are going to stay for quite a long time. EasyVPN and DMVPN have been very, very successful features. We have a lot of customers on them. They have hardware that cannot be upgraded. Even if they upgrade part of the hardware or part of the installation, uh, they will not do it in one shot. And therefore, they cannot switch to IGV2 right away, which is you know a, a main uh, a main block of Flex VPN. No IGV2 means no Flex. Therefore, we will keep these solutions up and running and active. Um, there is no there is no current plan at uh, at phasing them out. Uh, but one day it will happen. Yes, very likely. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so what's this fandangled new Ike V2 and why would I want to use it? Um, Ike V2 is the new standard. Uh, it does consolidate a number of uh, standard track RFCs that helps define you know, what happens to establish an IP, IPsec tunnel. Uh, there's a couple of advantages you know, when it comes to Ike V2. Ike V2 is more efficient when it comes to establishing uh, security associations to protect the data plane traffic. Uh, IV2 also has other security mechanisms, say for example, anti-clogging, um, that addresses some of the security concerns with IGV1. And obviously, almost all of the Cisco products already support IGV2. IGV2 is going to be the protocol of choice, you know, for future IPsec protocols. Uh, I think that if we if we could extract uh, just a few components from these RFCs, the the new authentication methods and the anti-clogging mechanism that Wen just mentioned, for me, they are the, the two primary elements. Uh, and inside authentication, you will find uh, a fixed pre-shared key authentication method that doesn't have the flows or the discrepancies that you could have in Ike V1. So the finally, pre-shared key does work. You can have access to the identity before you look up the pre-shared key, and therefore, you don't need something like an aggressive mode anymore. So that's, that's very important. You can have asymmetric authentication, meaning asymmetric pre-shared keys. That is not super interesting, but you could do a uh, pre-shared key on one side and RSA signature on the other side or certificate on the other side. You can do EAP authentication, which is a very nice replacement, much more secure uh, for XAuth. So in the list of authentication proposal and protocols or solutions, it is a much better solution. 
So it sounds like a lot of, um, you know, the motivation for moving in this direction is just to kind of look at the flaws and the mistakes we've made in the past with other VPN technologies and just try and wipe the slate clean and start with Ike V2 as best we can, right? Exactly. I think that if you look at Ike V2, you will see that Ike V2 fixes a large number of protocol level problems. It also introduces a few a few new that you know nobody had thought before, and it just introduces <laughs> like discrepancies or, or issues that nobody had planned. But in the process, yes, we it's a major rewrite, and and we took the lessons from the past. So we have a consistent CLI with clear separation between uh, authentication, also key retrieval, authentication, authorization, and accounting. Even if it's the same radius packet, we we have a clear separation. We we really have a good Lego block approach. Well, that, that's good to hear. Now, um, obviously, coming from a TAC and a support perspective, you know, we get to see when things don't work. So we can clearly align with the uh, motivation for going to it. But, um, you know, what I've heard is TAC and yourself especially had a lot to do with the driving forces in getting this implemented and getting this to be what it is today. Could you talk a little bit about you know, sort of the origins of Flex VPN and you know, how we as an organization had a lot, uh, you know, had a good solid hand in that. Yeah, so so <coughs> Flex is, a, is more than a one-trick pony. It really addresses a series of key items. I'm going to try and briefly describe what they are. One is the, the CLI creep. DMVPN, EasyVPN, CryptoMap, VTID, VTI, GRE, IPsec, with or without tunnel protection, you know, all these things. Different CLIs, it takes a lot of time to learn. It takes a lot of time to explain them to customers. Just to gloss over the solution, we know it takes about like seven, eight hours. Wow! Right, so that that that's pretty big, and and with that you have only scratched the surface, not even done any kind of design. Obviously, troubleshooting all that is a nightmare because all of these solutions behave like slightly differently. They are they have developed like ad hoc, uh, without bashing the solution. Right, they were terrific. They solved great problems at their time, but they you know we just have like this this creep these creeping solutions. And so customers would tend to learn one solution and try to solve all the problems with you know whatever they have learned without actually knowing that we had better solutions for different class of problems. So so, I guess that's uh, that's one thing. So, creeping, learning, all right, and and ease of uh, or speed of learning. So all all these are big criteria. Another one is every time you wanted a feature or every time you wanted a bug fix, however you would call it, depending <laughs> of you know, whether you're the tag or <laughs> or the development manager. We had the we had to face the problem that dev test wouldn't scale. They had to test for this, test for that, and uh, and forever. Even if the developers would agree to fix, and frankly they were very friendly, dev test wouldn't wouldn't follow. So so that was uh, another problem. And and when Ike V2 came along, we were like, all right, so we have like so many solutions, and we're just going to do times two. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And 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 we were like, okay, well we we need to find a way to to. We, we won't scale. We just will not scale. We know we're not going to have more resources tomorrow than we have today. And and finally, the I would say the last driver is that it, it's sort of related. We had this Ike protocol that we had developed that nobody was using because customers were not interested in Ike. It was poorly marketed uh, in the sense that, you know, this thing about like notified acknowledgement, single RFC, no, nobody cares about that, right? But developers, it's not attractive to customers. And <clears throat> And a long time back, there was a belief that Customers would switch to ISR G2s and and then subsequently to G3s from the G1 just because we had like V2 over there. So V2 was considered a value add feature, 
that would entice customers to upgrading their hardware. And obviously mm-hmm. that never happened. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> well, you know, IV2 is a pain. I mean, when you have to migrate, it is painful. Yeah. And, and so we decided that it was time to actually take all those ideas to simplify learning and to reduce the, 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 the feature creep and bring in some value-add features on top of that into Ike V2 to make it attractive. So, so basically, we put lipstick on Ike V2. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, well, Ike V2 is ISRG2 and ISRG3. And, and all of a sudden, we start seeing interest in customers for jumping to Ike V2. What we want to do is accelerate the transition from V1 to V2. We do not want another IPv4, IPv6 story, you know, yep. something that has taken forever. We really wanted to accelerate the Ike V1 to Ike V2 uh, transition. Okay. Uh, and Magnus, you know, just to add to uh, what Fred just said, uh, back to your comment about uh, tech involvement. Yeah. Uh, typically, you know, we've seen product develop, you know, by engineering, you know, we're, we're heavily engineering focused. But I think, you know, with FlexVPN, there was a lot of input from tech uh, because we are almost always on the front line to solve customer problems. We get to hear uh, what customers like, what they don't like in terms of configuration, in terms of tools available to us for troubleshooting issues, uh, notification by the system in when there is a failure. So uh, just to highlight some of the things, you know, the, sim- uh, the configuration has been significantly simplified. Uh, we're using what we call the smart defaults. For anybody that have configured IPsec, uh, you pr- pretty much know that you know you got to configure these ICKMP parameters you got to configure the IPsec parameters the crypto maps there's a lot of things that um, nec- that users don't necessarily have to know so with FlexVPN uh, we came up with a CLI proposal that basically hides all that uh, complexity and internals from the user so you have a, a set of default configurations that most likely will fit you know all the use cases Obviously, you can change them, but most of the customers shouldn't have, you know, have uh, configured their own. And I, I think the key there is you—you you mentioned we, right? And that's the you know, TAC as a support organization, Absolutely. and as you know, essentially an input party into what the final product becomes. It, it's a great uh, collaboration effort. You know, we troubleshoot problems all the time, and it was great to see that we had our input on what the debugs would look like. You know, those were very, very well accepted by the development team. Uh, you know, I, I often use the example, right? You know, just because we can read hex doesn't mean we have to, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's great to see, you know, some of these, you know, rather obscure messages, you know, they get translated into human readable. Uh, and, and knowing what those debug messages look like in the initial release of FlexVPN in IV2, uh, I, I can tell you, you know, what we have today is basically night and day, right, compared to what we had uh, initially. So, you know, it, it's kind of that for us, by us Absolutely. kind of approach to it. And, you know, I know I, I do primarily firewall stuff, obviously, and, you know, a little bit of VPN here and there. And whenever I have to, if I'm in a case where I have to go to VPN debugs, I, you know, in all honesty, I throw up my hands and I bring Jay over or something like that and say, all right, well, you can understand this stuff. And it's good to, good to see that, you know, um, this progression towards an easier tool for us to support, um, you know, is definitely happening. And the easier it is for us to do our jobs, the faster we can solve problems for our listeners and other customers. So a good it, analogy is, um, you know, in the Matrix, they have the screen and it's just the characters are flowing down the screen. Oh, yeah. Yep. And you say, how could you possibly read it? Well, if you've looked at the debugs and read it 
5,000 times. You don't need to look at it. It just like flows in front of you and you know what's, what's happening. You, you just look at the pattern of the length of the strings and you know it, what's it, happening. Exactly. So, so any kind of, you know, human changing that random output or, or seemingly random and confusing output into human readable strings, it, it just goes a long way in trying to help troubleshoot and uh, simplify. I guess I guess we can get on the flow <coughs> in, a, in a moment because what, what you raise is actually very uh, very accurate and and I would really highlight that when you say it's by us it's really by us engineering and TS together it was a it is the the most collaborative effort I have ever seen the it's easy to say that you know one day we wanted to make a feature that you know, could be explained in two hours and for which the configuration wouldn't exceed a slide because that was one of the design criteria. Hmm. We, it need to be presentable. And this is actually partly where the smart defaults are coming from. It has not been easy to analyze a protocol that nobody had implemented or for which only partial implementation existed. We really had to, to scrape this RFC. This is the way things should be in a big company like ours. I look at a lot of our other products where we don't have that uh, support perspective at the very initial concept of you know how they're going to do things or how things are going to look and a lot of times we end up trying to catch the ball after it's already passed us right we're trying to say all right well how can we fix some supportability issues from our perspective it's good that we get in front of those all right so we've talked a lot about the motivation and the origins of you know flex vpn and its tight integration with ike v2 and moving towards a more unified simpler way of doing things earlier we mentioned the concepts of smart defaults and the you know some challenges that people may run into with migrations you know fred you mentioned that from a support perspective and this is the right panel here to talk to we have all we have the top minds and vpn technologies here no you too jay young taylor you are you are one of the top minds don't worry um that's a scary proposition i know <laughs> but, uh, you know, from your perspective, guys, uh, what are some of what I'm going to call the best practices, if you will, when it comes to migrating towards FlexVPN, migrating from, you know, older configurations and older technologies to this new standard? What do you guys think is, you know, what's the best thing you can tell our listeners here from a perspective of that? Well, first off, just to touch on the configuration of a FlexVPN, uh, we talk about IKEV2. That's rather unique, you know, when it comes to Flex. Uh, the other piece is FlexVPN strictly uses a point-to-point -point interface concept. So this tunnel uh, configured by FlexVPN can either be a GRE encapsulated point-to-point -point tunnel or a point-to-point -point IPsec tunnel uh, comparable to a, say, VTI concept, you know, virtual tunnel interface. So this is a little different from uh, some of these other legacy uh, crypto configurations that we have seen, such as a crypto map, for example, for site-to-site -site tunnels, or crypto map for easy VPN, or a multi-point GRE tunnel for DMVPN. With FlexVPN, we're talking about point-to-point uh, -point tunnel interfaces only. Uh, when it comes to configuration, a couple key configuration constructs they include uh, IKEV2 policies, IKEV2 proposals, uh, IKEV2 profiles. But like we said earlier, uh, the smart defaults really simplify this configuration in the in the sense that you know for the most part you don't need you don't even need to be concerned with some of these constructs. You know they're there they're there for you to customize for you to modify. But if you don't, that's perfectly okay. 
Um, a, a couple of the key things uh, outside of the smart defaults that you have to configure, say for example, IGV2 keyring, which provides the pre-shared key for authentication purposes, or IGV2 profile. You know, those are the things that you have to have. Outside of that, um, you construct a tunnel interface that could be a VTI tunnel, that could be a jury tunnel. You apply a default IPsec tunnel protection on the interface. Off you go. That's that's all there. That's all there is to it. So it sounds like you're just creating a tunnel interface and or just basically defining what to encrypt. You're not really specifying how to encrypt it like you would have to in IKE V1. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of that internals, you know, they're shielded from the user. Uh, and, and you know, for cust for for users uh, already very familiar with configuring a GRE tunnel interface. You know, this is really not all that different. Uh, Tunnel protection has been around since the MVPN, since VTI. Again, very familiar concept. You know, to get IGV2 profile properly configured, you need, you know, you need uh, uh, the peer identity, uh, you know, the key ring that you want to use. But that that's really uh, the minimal configuration requirement to get a FlexVPN tunnel going. So, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work's gone into those smart defaults, and that takes care of. I guess effectively the best practices. I'm sure we're seeing it in the field, you know, users configuring this. What do you see is perhaps one of the most common mistakes that people end up doing with something like FlexVPN, um, IV2 specifically, that you would recommend them not do so that they don't run into those kind of hiccups? I think the, the, the first thing that is overdone is the usage of uh, the mode config. It's very attractive. And for a, lot of, for a lot of the MVPN users, it is something new. If you're mm -hmm. in EasyVPN, you know, it's like bread and butter. <laughs> 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 you, know, you, you know that. But uh, for the MVPN users, it is very new and, and it is attractive. And, and, and so it's overused and abused. And I think that you really have to keep, when you deploy your network, you have to keep it simple. If you have a site-to-site -site network, just don't bother with uh, AAA authorization. Do not bother with iCrowd. Just create you know, a tunnel on each side, a tunnel interface on each side, and push static route, or run a routing protocol like OSPF or yeah, GRP, and uh, you will be a happy camper. Keep it simple, always. Mm -hmm. So that's the the only thing that I more or less see. And obviously, in 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 all the difficulties, you know, FlexVPN is leaving infancy now. It has been released in August last year on ISR. Uh, ASR support was introduced in December, like end of November, early December. And, and we could say that this is really when FlexVPN got introduced. And, and in the process, we have fixed a few things that were not matching the initial design. FlexVPN has an intent. Uh, we knew what we wanted, but now the difference between what you think about and what you get in the end after it is coded and tested, it's not a 100% match. And uh, because it's a lot of work and mistakes go in the process, I have made my own mistakes in not reviewing some documents as well as I should have, and I let things through. <laughs> so we had to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> said, hey, hey, this is not what we meant, right? We, we need to roll back. And so the CLI has changed. So what the, the best advice I would give to everyone is to jump on, on, uh, on 3.7 if you want the latest CLI. So that's out in July, if I'm not mistaken, and run 15.3.3T1 uh, for ISR that is also due in July. I would say that these are the two releases that the two releases that contain uh, the the most current CLI and and the one that that was like as it was in intended and it's a good one. If you're looking for an ASR release that is a little like uh, more proved, more stable or 
that has like passed the test of fire. Uh, 3.5 and 3.6 are the right releases, but you just have to know that they can, they, there are a few CLI discrepancies in there. Between the intended output and... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. okay. And, and, you know, to help our users, to help our customers, there is a effort um, to publish some of the, you know, the commonly used deployment scenarios, uh, configuration guides, uh, best practices, feature matrix, for example, you know, those things out, you know, in the public domain. You know, we're still working on the logistics, but the goal is to have that information readily available for customers so that, they, you know, if they have a question, you know, they are looking to do uh, a typical deployment, they can easily find a document that describes uh, the, the exact things that you were talking about, right? What's the best practices? You know, how do I, how do I fine tune it? How do I configure it? Uh, such that, you know, there's uh, there, there's a little challenge for them to configure something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So it, it sounds like this is really the direction that people want to move to, right? Um, one thing that I know uh, I see a lot in cases that are firewall related is when we're talking about moving to a new technology, there's always questions and concerns about feature parity. And since this is a new rewrite of the concept of VPN for us here, um, is it uh, like a complete compatible option if I want to just rip out my DMVPN solution, throw this in, or if I want to, you know, take out some of the old ones right out of the gate and just start doing this from scratch, am I going to have the same features that I have now? Or, you know, where's it, where's it going and is it there? I would say pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Okay. So, so, so th there are two things. There is the, there was an original intent, which was to simplify the the whole set of solutions. Mm -hmm. No, we also wanted value add features, but in the original mess, we didn't know like, do we add this feature in EasyVPN or do we add this feature in DMVPN? You know, wh what do we develop? What do people want? So I think there are a number of value add features like MPLS over Flex that will come up uh, in the next year. Uh, mm -hmm. So 2013, I guess, uh, they're on the radar. Uh, we have uh, layer two over Flex VPN. So, so really layer two encrypted networks. Uh, over Flex, uh, native multicast support will probably come as well. So multicast enhancements. So I, I guess no, we, we're, it's not at all the end of the road. And in term, but in terms of parity, so to speak, uh, I think that we are almost, I would say, 99.99% 99 .99 complete. And and what is impressive is that it was complete from almost from day one. Uh, the only feature that is technically missing today is uh, in Spoke Spoke Direct, so in Flex Mesh, is uh, V6 support. So we can do Spoke Spoke Direct with IPv4, but today for V6 support, you need, uh, uh, it's not there yet. It will be there in 3.10. Okay. Unfortunately, that's a bit late. Um, so it, it, it sounds like not only was it, you know, we're looking at it, we're saying, all right, well, the, the prior VPN technologies were a bear to support, you know, and we've, as you mentioned, CLI creep, and that's a, a really good way to describe it. I mean, when you look at every one of these different VPN technologies that we have, each one has a different style of configuration. One looks different than the other. The debugs are completely different because they were all developed, you know, in the past at different times with different groups. And obviously there's, there wasn't a lot of talking to one another. But it sounds like the additional value that we have here is what you mentioned, those value adds that are easy for us to incorporate into future versions. You know, it gives us a lot more flexibility in FlexVPN to make it more robust for the end user. Yes, so. yes more fit for purpose, more robust, easier to, uh, to configure, less caveats. Um, well, basically, you know, doing what customers need. 
That's the most important. And uh, doing it in a way where they do not have to do five low-level designs to finally pick the technology they need. They can you know, safely choose an ISR or an ASR based on the scale, FlexVPN being the feature. And more or less, you know, they, they know what they need. <laughs> After that, it's up to the low-level designers to make it work. But uh, there is no, there is no booby trap anymore. So, Fred, you said that uh, we have feature parity pretty much, right? So we have a hubspoke kind of topology to replace DMVPN or complement DMVPN. We have uh, spoke to spoke. I heard you thought I heard you mention that. Do we also have remote access capabilities? Will we? What kind of clients are we going to use there? Are we going to use the old IPsec client? Any connect? What was available for us? Well, you just nailed it, right? So um, everything. So hub and spoke, spoke spoke direct, like dynamic partial meshing, like DMVPN, uh, side to side remote access, and inside the remote access, we are compatible with at least the Microsoft uh, native client in Windows Seven, with Raccoon Two. Uh, with StrongSwan, uh, we are compatible with any connect, and you know we will see when we have more clients. But as far as we know, we we support all this. So once again, here uh, you have to be cautious. There is what iOS can do, and there is what the client can do. Uh, V4, V6 support, the dual stack support is not complete for the Microsoft style implementation. So currently, it's V6 over V6 or V4 over V4. We do not support yet dual stack over V4 or V6. So dual stack being simultaneous use of V4 and V6 inside the tunnel. Uh, that is coming probably in 3.10. So again, uh, radar item, the, the roadmap is in the uh, in the writing at the moment. It will probably be there at that time. And AnyConnect does not support dual stack yet. So we will see when they support it exactly how you know what kind of uh, negotiation we have to go through with the with the client, not not uh, not internal. And uh, and but we will support it too in v4 v6. But currently, uh, any connect v uh, v4 over v4 works uh, without a problem. Uh, the only thing you have to pay attention to is that we're talking about any connect IPsec, not IP, not uh, not any connect SSL, and we're talking about the essentials feature. And actually, even essentials is not feature complete. We will have uh, auto reconnect also around 3:10, so around July 2013. But for the rest, yeah, it will be uh, the initial target is any connect essentials, and then we will see based on demand whether we have to go to uh, to the full fledged any connect. All right, so you know transitions between different versions of Ike here. We're going from the old style to the new. Um, I, with networks, for example, let's take IPv4, IPv6 as a transition example. I mean, you can run both of them simultaneously, dual stack, right? Now, when we look at the transition from old Ike v1 to now Ike v2, can you run both at the same time on a router? Can I gradually move my network over to this new standard without having to say, all right, I need to take a downtime and we're going to cut out all of the VPN and build it all from scratch? Uh, that was a good analogy with uh, the v6 uh, and v4 scenario. Uh, obviously, with Ike v2, it is a new protocol. Uh, one caveat or limitation is that it's not backward compatible which means you can have a device that's talking IPv1 to uh, establish a IPsec tunnel with a device that's talking IPv2. So the idea of migration really becomes uh, building two overlay VPNs, you know, one on the existing uh, EasyVPN, DMVPN, what have you, uh, and you can build a brand new FlexVPN overlay in parallel 
with the existing VPN. Uh, you can then, in a phased approach, enable routing. You can checkpoint to make sure you know everything is working you know properly. Overflex, you know, you can fine tune your routing parameters such that during the transition phase, you can still prefer the existing VPN uh, than the Flex VPN. But once everything is checked out, everything is kosher, then you can tune your routing parameters to cut over. Uh, at that point, you know whether you want to. Delete your existing legacy VPN configuration, or leave it in place as a failover mechanism. That's completely up to you. But the but the basic idea is you can have these technologies in parallel, uh, and when it's time to cut over, you just cut over. Makes for a much more seamless transition. So yep. I don't need to go out and buy a separate router to run it. You're saying I can run it on the same box and the same connections and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, to extend on what. Uh, when just said when he said like the routing parameters i think that was very right in the sense that in easy vpn there was no routing protocol only a ike route reverse route injection in the mvpn it is a purely routed based well routing based model using a routing protocol like eigrp or bgp in flex vpn you have the choice and this is why he says the the, the root parameters the, the characteristics of the route uh, you can do either so you could do an easy vpn with reverse route and side by side a flex VPN with a routing protocol or also Ike route. Or you could have a DM VPN and a flex VPN, so DM on let's say GRP and a flex VPN on either BGP on our Ike route. So you could run a flex mesh without routing protocol, <laughs> which is kind of funny, but you can do it and it's it will scale very well if you can uh, if the scenario work you know fits for your design you can do that. But the bottom line is that when you switch over uh, you can change routing protocol or you can keep the same routing mechanism uh, at will. Hmm. Makes it much more easy to uh, increase adoption rates, obviously. Yeah, F Flex is pretty forgiving. Uh, also in the sense that uh, you can do that almost on a per peer basis too, mm -hmm. wh which means that once you have selected Flex as a technology, you, you configure it. If it doesn't work exactly the way you had thought or you have something specific on a spoke or you want something a little like out of the ordinary, you can do it. Uh, we, we tend to say that it's service enabling in the sense that by default it is easy, simple to configure for almost everyone to, you know, all our users. But at the same time, um, if, uh, if it gets too complex, then you, you, you know, don't get desperate or if, it, um, if the default parameters do not work for you, do not get desperate. It is possible to, to purchase services like advanced services or partner-based services. And, um, and uh, these people will have the knowledge to actually fine-tune the solution and make it work exactly for you. So it's really like custom fit. Very nice, very nice. Now, um, one thing I want to cover here today uh, is, is troubleshooting. I know all of us here at the table were troubleshooters at heart. <laughs> You know, our customers and our listeners who are familiar with VPN troubleshooting, you know, they've got you know, some of the older style VPN uh, configurations, and they're used to you know, fighting fires on those kind of setups. Has the sort of troubleshooting paradigm changed with FlexVPN? What are some of, you know, what is the best way, if you were to just boil down a stereotypical VPN problem in FlexVPN, how do, you, how do you troubleshoot that? Is it different than what we're used to right now? So with FlexVPN, it's pretty much the same troubleshooting as you did previously with IKE v one Right, uh, a couple shows ago, we did a troubleshooting VPNs, mm -hmm. and uh, we discussed a timeline where you go from point A to point B, and all the intermediate steps along. Is phase one building? Is phase two building? Is this message exchanging here and here? These are all different points that you can checkpoint and validate. 
much of it is the same. The whole concept of it is the same. Just where you look is slightly different. Yep. So with uh, Ike V1, we would expect six packets to be exchanged to build a phase one. But with Ike V2, we only expect four. And um, is the IPsec SA getting installed? You check with the show crypto IPsec SA. Are we getting encapsulations or decapsulations? It's the same concept as troubleshooting just normal VPNs. And, and one thing that's somewhat unique to FlexVPN, as Fred mentioned earlier, was the fact that Ike can now install routes. Mm -hmm. So there is a class of problems where you have all your essays, uh, but uh, for some reason you are not able to go you know, end to end you know, from a client you know, talking to a server over a FlexVPN tunnel. So check routing, uh, that shouldn't be that different from troubleshooting any layer three related problems. Uh, but do keep in mind that some of these routing parameters, you know, they would come in via Ike. Uh, and if you were to run a routing protocol, obviously, uh, you know, for a protocol like BGP, you, ha you have to know your peer IP address because it's based on uh, unicast communication between the peers. Uh, make sure you have the proper you know, Ike routing if you choose to do so configured and uh, routing entries are populated in the routing table. Um, uh, but uh, again, you know, it's really no you know, different from troubleshooting any other layer three type of issues. Yeah. So, so m maybe to, um, to sort of put some perspective on all this, there are three levels in troubleshooting. The first level is, are my packets supposed to be encrypted? Show IP route will tell you that. Show IP route will tell you whether the packet is sent to a crypto interface like a tunnel, static, or dynamic, or whether it is sent out on a clear text interface. That's the first thing. Then you check whether the security associations are present on this output interface. Show crypto session will tell you exa exactly that. Maybe show crypto v 2 essay detail if you want to know more details. Uh, which is again very similar to a, to a DM or an easy VPN, except that whether it's a hub and spoke or a spoke spoke direct or it's always the same methodology you don't have to sometimes do a show ip route sometimes a show ip in hrp sometimes a show crypto ipsec sa all right like like we would do for crypto maps for instance the, the methodology is always the same show ip route check if it's a tunnel interface if it is a tunnel interface show crypto ikv2 sa detail that will show you the details if the essays are in place show crypto ipsec sa or show crypto session and you will see the packet count increasing and if something breaks in there, you know what to troubleshoot into the protocols. And then back to Jay's point, this is where the, the tiny differences are. Instead of six packets, you have four. It's protocol level detail. This is where I would say we have the most differences. But initial steps for, you know, where is the problem in the stack? Is it an Ike problem? Is it an IPsec problem? Is it a, like packets are sent out of the wrong interface? That's uh, always the same process in Flex. Hmm. So it's it sounds like it's a, a lot simpler for somebody to troubleshoot this than what we're what we're used to. Well, it, it's it's not simpler than DMVPN. It is not simpler than EasyVPN. It is just that if you use features that were used to be across Easy or DMVPN, you have only one troubleshooting flow to know yeah. instead of two or more. All right. Well, I mean, it, it definitely sounds like it's more of a unified troubleshooting methodology. Now, uh, for our listeners, we've actually got episode 26. It was a few episodes back, but uh, we had two of our panelists here, Jay and Wen. Both were uh, on that one. We were talking about troubleshooting IPsec VPN. So, um, you know, a lot of the ideas that we discussed during that show also do apply here to the Flex VPN concept. Uh, and it's also a very good show to listen to. Now, uh, I'd like to thank everybody here. That's part of our panel. 
Thank you all for coming here for today's recording of the Tax Security Podcast. Uh, as always, uh, our listeners can check out a lot more information about today's show, some notes about the show, as well as uh, troubleshooting examples and some information about FlexVPN by going to our show notes page at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. And as always, you can email us here at securityshow at cisco.com and we'll be sure to respond to your feedback. Uh, you know, let us know if you like the show and how we can make it better for you and whatever topics you want to hear. Once again, guys, thanks for having us. Thank you, Magnus. Thank you. Do, 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 do. I'm keeping that.